Welcome to episode 35 of the Roger Snipe Show. The Roger Snipes Show. What a guan people dim. <laughs> Hope all is well, everybody. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode. Today's episode is going to be really interesting. It's uh, something that I've been in personally interested in for at least a couple of years now and that is molecular hydrogen water and um, you know I'd been using molecular hydrogen yeah for a couple of years and prior to that I I, I kind of stumbled across it when I was looking through something else and it was through looking into uh, what was it alkaline water so I was looking into alkaline water and I was looking into the generators that produce it and kind of learned that many of them actually produce the hydrogen. And um, from there, I was like, hmm, hydrogen seems pretty interesting, seems to be one of the key elements to why uh, some of these generators are of value. So as I started to take a deeper dive into it, it seemed as though it was some kind of just special molecule that everybody needed to have in their life. Um, but yeah, so the person I have on today goes by the name of Alex Tarnava, who is the CEO of Drink HRW and Natural Wellness Now, uh, which is the primary inventor of a clinically validated patented pending hydrogen water tablet. Now, one thing I really, really enjoyed about the conversation I had with Alex was it wasn't really so much the product which he sells, but it was more to do with just his passion for just being authentic and all the background research which he does to make sure that what he has on the market is clinically validated like he takes it next level and you can hear it in his passion with you know things that he had tried and his journey it's really i don't know it's really inspiring so yeah alex has a passion for health fitness learning and self-development after a lifetime of sports activity, he was shocked to find he developed osteoarthritis, basically whilst still in his physical prime. Now, unwilling to give up his way of life, he dosed himself regularly with naproxen to counter the pain and discom discomfort he lived with every day. Now, over time, the drugs effects lessened with gastrointestinal side effects started to increase he started to search for alternatives now alex scoured medical journals looking for emerging treatments that would help reading hundreds of published articles in the process this was where he happened upon the potential of molecular hydrogen skeptical at first the more he read the more he became interested in its potential. Motivated by pain and the hope he gathered from his research, he began to experiment with ways of replicating the dosage levels being used 
successful across the scientific community. Now, after time, he realized he needed real expertise and sought out Dr. Richard Holland's counsel. After a thrilling ride through discovery, multiple um, experimentation, and finally success, Drink HRW open cup hydrogen tablets were finally ready for the public. Now, Alex remains committed to bringing relief through rejuvenation and several other planned products to not just other sufferers, but anyone interested in preventative health and longevity. Together, his team wants to ensure that everyone has the chance to experience the tremendous benefits of daily use of molecular hydrogen in a safe and effective manner. Now, to learn more about Alex and his work with molecular hydrogen, just visit drinkhrw.com. Now, Alex has been ever so kind in allowing my listeners to also get a discount from his website by using the discount code SNIPES10 to get 10% off. Okay, let's bring on Alex. The Roger Snipes Show. So, Alex, how are you doing, sir? I'm pretty well. How are you? I'm good. Very well. Beautiful weather here in UK. It's normally raining, so uh, yeah. Well, about, it's it raining like here in Vancouver. It's normally, <laughs> normally raining in Vancouver, so. Oh, right, Vancouver. Yeah, it's normally, yeah, pretty cold from what I understand. Um, doesn't really get cold and it doesn't really get warm, right? Oh. Like, actually, the last few years, uh, we've had really unique weather. Like, um, usually it never snows in the winter and it never gets too hot in the summer. It usually... You know, maybe stays five, ten Celsius all all winter time, and then maybe in the twenties all summertime. But um, we've had like record snowfall several years in a row, and um, in the summers because of all the forest fires, I think it like traps the heat in. Yeah. So we've gone over forty, you know, for like long stretches, you know. Wow. In, in the last couple of years, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it rains something like two hundred days a year in Vancouver. <laughs> God. <laughs> wow. How do you deal with something like that? Walk around with an umbrella all the time, you know? Or I maybe mean, I, I, I don't. It's always just a drizzle. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? Like, it's rarely downpour. It might like rain like a few millimeters a day. You know, the days where it goes like 50 or 100 millimeters, then yeah, you don't want to go outside. But yeah. you just kind of get used to it. And like, more often than not, it's like one to five millimeters for the day and it's just overcast. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's kind of interesting. Pretty similar with UK, really. You do get used to it. It rains a lot. When people, are, when people come to UK and they're like, oh my God, how do you deal with it? I'm like, I don't even notice it. You know, I'm just so used to it now. I, I, I didn't even know it was raining. <laughs> so uh, I've got a, a handful of friends from Ireland and they say it's a lot worse in Ireland. <laughs> they get like one good week a year. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like, yeah, like uh, England, but on steroids, you know, like next level raining there. <clears throat> so you're the, the CEO of Drink HRW and uh, Natural Wellness Now, right? Yeah. Um, so to differentiate between the two, um, basically, um, they both revolve around the hydrogen tablets, open cup hydrogen tablets. So I'm the primary inventor of the hydrogen tablets. Um, I private label them to dozens of companies around the world that put their own label on. The mm. Drink HRW brand is um, 
is the brand that gives me kind of a, a you know, a, a megaphone, right? So I can talk on my blog and talk about my thoughts and philosophies and opinions, right? Mm. So that's just the brand that uh, I have some control on messaging, you know, to a greater extent on the day-to-day talking about, you know, the science, talking about a lot of issues. But uh, at, at the center of it is just my involvement in um, the open cup hydrogen water tablets, um, their, their invention, um, getting them through all the regulatory hurdles to, to get them to market. Um, you know, we're one of only about 4% legal supplements in the United States, for instance. Wow. Um, you know, we're, we're uh, going through all this and all the clinical outreach program, you know, which is something that uh, I spend most of my time on is reaching out to researchers around the world to, to try and get more research and try and do it in an honest way. That's amazing. You know, that this is one of the things that I thought was very interesting when we first had a little discussion prior to this uh, podcast. And uh, one other thing I did f- find quite intriguing as well, it was your story. So, you know, you were involved in some sports activity, um, American football. Um, you discovered that you had um, osteoarthritis while you were still in your physical prime, from what I understand. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've played uh, American football for a lot of years. Um, you know, I've played tons of sports my whole life. Um, you know, um, what, when I, I basically had came down with arthritis, um, I was uh, training a lot. I wasn't doing anything um, like professionally or, you know, um, even super competitively, just the odd like CrossFit competition, you know, like locally. Um, but uh, I was training in, in various martial arts and CrossFit. I was training four to eight hours a day huh. at that time. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm quite an obsessive person, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, when, when something is what I do, it's what I do. And I, I'm kind of like all or nothing, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, my, my previous business gave me a lot of freedom to do that. Um, I only had to work an hour or two a day to maintain my business. And then I go away, um, out of the country, out of town, you know, and I'd work 18 hours a day for a week straight, right. You know, in meetings. And then I go home and I just kind of unwind and I train, 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 you know, you're in this physical training just quickly uh, before you continue, like how much was you eating during that time? What what was your food consumption? Like six to 8,000 calories a day. You know, um, actually, at one point before I got sick, just a few months before, um, I, I got sick another time. I developed uh, gastroenteritis, and my doctor had to tell me to start cooking my vegetables, right? Because I was eating so many raw vegetables that it had just caused serious, like, internal issues. I was probably eating about 30 servings of raw veggies a day. Um, I was trying to eat clean. I was, you know, eating a lot of meat, um, a lot of eggs and everything, but, uh, I'm the type that I can just sit and snack all day long. So I was creating these huge buckets of of vegetables. And, you know, as I was like training at my house and like answering emails between things and everything, I just grab handfuls of vegetables and I'd just be eating, you know, of your weight. Um, well, my weight was always between about 170 to 180. I've always been the kind, uh, the type I, I need to struggle to keep my weight down. Okay. Um, 
as soon as I start lifting weights, I pile on muscle, right? right? It's just how my body wants to go. Uh, but uh, for, for CrossFit and um, martial arts, I always wanted to keep less muscle, right? Because I had too much bulky muscle mm-hmm. on me to, to do those sports. Um, you know, for instance, uh, I hadn't just give you a, a, you know, bit of a, a way to look at it. I hadn't lifted a weight in, in three years. And when I started CrossFit, um, I think it was my second day of CrossFit. I power cleaned 225, right? I was power snatching 205 from day one. And within four months of training and putting muscle on, um, I was deadlifting 500 pounds. Uh, it's just, you know, I, I am just, I'm built to put on muscle and, you know, have power, but all the sports I like, you know, or did throughout my twenties, um, you need a lot more endurance and, you know, mm-hmm. muscular endurance. So I was always fighting to keep my muscle mass and my weight down. Right. Got you. Got you. So when you eventually, uh, you know, you've done all these different sports and I mean, I just done, I think I sprinted and then went into bodybuilding, just kept it simple. And I just left it like that. But you've done so many different things. You discovered you had the arthritis. Is that when things changed for you? Like what's, what's the story there? Yeah. Um, so basically I was really getting into, to CrossFit at this time. I was really moving away from martial arts into CrossFit. I just, uh, I was thinking to myself, this is a sport for me. This is all of my natural gifts that I can be using um, in doing it. And I'd only been doing CrossFit for not too long and I was still learning a lot of the techniques, but I was learning in leaps and bounds. And all of a sudden I got really sick and I had a virus of some kind and they don't know exactly what I had, but um you know, my, my C-reactive proteins, inflammatory markers were about a hundred times a healthy person, you know, 34 times what, what you'd expect when you are really sick, right. With something, um, I developed sudden onset narcolepsy. You know, if I sat down on the couch for a minute, I just fall asleep. I was sleeping 16 to 18 hours a day. And I, uh, I lost all reactive muscle, right. And explosive muscle. Um, almost kind of like central nervous system fatigue, right? Like my squat and my bench, you know, my deadlift, those numbers were basically unchanged, mm. right? But I couldn't jump an inch off the ground. Wow. Right? Like I, I just, I, I couldn't get any airtime. Um, I went from being able to do 15, 20 bar muscle up, sun broken to I couldn't even do like a chin to bar, right? I, I, everything was just slow, right? All of my like slow movement, stuff was unaffected, but I had nothing explosive in mm. the tank. Um, I kept on, I was severely anemic at the time. And I mean, I was eating, you know, thousands of calories of like red meat a day, you know, and like lots of green vegetables. So that was a bit bizarre. Um, and they just kept drawing blood like a couple times a week, trying to figure out what was going on. My best friend was really sick at that time too. He'd been training for a triathlon and, and, he was, you know, competitive in triathlons and obstacle course races and everything like that. And he actually developed pneumonia and he was off work for a few weeks. Right. So, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with him either. Um, when the dust settled and my markers went back to normal, I just, my, my body was like the tin man. 
right? I developed arthritis in multiple spots of my body, most prominently my left shoulder, right? I couldn't put on a jacket, couldn't put my arm above my head. And uh, at that time, you know, I, I did two things. One, I went on um, high doses of, of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories as well. I was taking cortisone injections, so steroid injections into my shoulder to get rid of the inflammation. I took a hyaluronic acid injection too, but I was also scouring, you know, PubMed, so research databases to look for anything that could regulate my inflammatory response, you know, long term. Um, hydrogen popped up and it had been on my radar actually for, for its um, selective antioxidant properties um, at that time. And I bought a machine for like $5,000, right, to make hydrogen water. And I just was taking it. But of course, I was taking all these powerful, you know, anti-inflammatories, right, steroidal and non-steroidal. So I didn't know if it was working or anything, but then I developed ulcers right? Numerous ulcers. I fainted at the gym a few times and I had to quit the, the thousand milligrams of naproxen a day I was taking. And within like not too long, my shoulder was completely frozen again. And, you know, I'm like, okay, so whatever this hydrogen water is, isn't working. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went back to PubMed and I kept on trying to find something else that could help me. And frustratingly, hydrogen water was popping up another research that I was finding. Um, and I was going through this stuff obsessively, like hours a day. I was just scouring the internet and PubMed. Um, but then I just dawned on me, how do I even know this water I'm drinking has hydrogen gas? The salesman said it did. Yeah. Right. But how do I know? So I got it tested and it had no detectable hydrogen gas. This machine was making, it wasn't dissolving any of the water. So I'd basically been hosed on this machine. Um, I know a lot more about why now um, the machines aren't very good to begin with. Um, they, they make a lot of hydrogen, but they don't dissolve it in the water. Um, but uh, while most people would think, feel like ripped off, um, I got excited because I'm like, I haven't tried hydrogen water yet. I don't know, you know if it, it works. So I started buying the full studies right, mm. to see how the researchers were making it. And I found um, they weren't using machines like the ones, you know, the one I, I used predominantly. They were either bubbling pure gas through water or using magnesium, right, to, to make it. So I started uh, experimenting. I started buying commercial products, getting them in from Japan, things like this. And nothing really worked. Um, and there was, you know, one product that I had to really – kind of like jerry rig to get it to work in a decent way it was super expensive and i had to really modify it to like get a, a decent dosage but when i did that my shoulder loosened up and my hip too you know my hip had tightened completely right um and, and they loosened and i'm like huh right but um i was just really disenfranchised uh, with a few things one the cost i was spending on these products that didn't work unless I was modifying them after I, I purchased them to get them to work. And the claims these companies were making, they were making claims about curing cancer and all sorts of diseases and, you know, really? all of these are early... in writing that they were curing cancer. Yeah. And they, they've all modified their websites since then as the industry has gotten bigger. But I mean, now I'm realizing the hydrogen water industry was so small at this time that these were, 
companies that were like one, two guys with a website that maybe 50 people a day visited. They just weren't at all concerned with, you know, in the US, the FDA or the FTC taking a look at their website, right? So most of them have gotten rid of this stuff. But at that time, and I didn't realize how nascent and esoteric hydrogen water was in North America at this time. But some of these companies were emailing me. One even called me on the phone and I was a customer trying to recruit me to be like a sales rep or join their MLM, right? Like I just bought this as a customer. Like, what are you doing harassing me? Right. And all these claims are making. So I just said, you know, I'm going to make this stuff for myself. Like these aren't even good products. Right. And and that's how it started. I was just going to make it by myself. And I'm a really obsessive person. I ended up having to, to, get like you know clearance from from the u.s state department and it ended up being like a huge ordeal to get like the magnesium i, I needed and you know wow. do what i was doing and uh, but again with how obsessive i am i just kept on going down the rabbit hole and as i'm you know was securing all this stuff i just thought to myself you know i get the basics of this chemistry but I don't want to be a Darwin Award and kill myself, you know, either from an explosion or, you know, poisoning myself. And um, I just went out and I tried to hire a consultant, like a, a PhD chemist. Um, that's how I met my founding partner, Dr. Holland. And uh, he originally told me it was the worst pseudoscience he'd ever heard in his life. But well. my, he originally said it was the worst pseudoscience he'd ever heard in his life when I tried to show him what I was doing. But I, I started just sending him like a lot of the, the peer reviewed papers and like rebutting his questions because I'd learned a lot on the subject too. And he said, he's like, you know, I'm surprised, but there appears, you know, to be some evidence here. Sure, I guess I'll take a look and help you out. And I just kept on sending him new research every day and just kind of serendipitously as he was reviewing everything I was doing. And I sent him um, the clinical trial on hydrogen water for hepatitis B. And I didn't know that he was kind of leading um, a team to in drug development at his pharmaceutical company for Hep B, right? With the molecule they'd created. And he, he called me for lunch and said, listen, like, you know, all those other studies were outside my area of expertise, but, you know, this is, you know, some good findings in this study. This stuff has an effect, right? Like, are you sure you just want to do it? for yourself you're spending a lot of money here and a lot of time right shouldn't you commercialize this and i'd been thinking about that like in my head that i maybe this is like a career path for me to go into but um i kind of had that 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 self-doubt like who am i to go into this space right like you know i don't know anything about this space right but that just kind of like positive like affirmation and i'm like ah, you know i don't know anything about this and he's like hey he's like look at all the hurdles you've went through to get here right he's like you're almost there right now we weren't right we got the chemistry right in the next three weeks but then it was getting it manufactured and getting it legal that was a real hard part you know mm. from from you know making one in a mortar and pestle and getting the chemistry right to being able to make millions at a time and keep the tablet working properly that was over a year and thousands of iterative adjustments, you know, and different protocols that we had to wrote. So that, that was a hard part. And then getting it legal and, you know, the clinical outreach, that was a real hard part. But, you know, he was right in a sense, you know, because 
so many supplements don't ever legally register that just getting the product right there and the concept, we, we were almost done, you know? So it just kind of let me dive in and, you know, I just haven't turned back. That's pretty amazing. So like, so you specialize in uh, hydrogen water. Um, how do you get it like clinically validated? Like what's, what's the procedure there where you can say, you know, this is probably the best one on the market because it's clinically validated. Like what's, what's the procedure there to say um, that undergoes to say that the dosage is therapeutic, it's clean and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you first what most private companies do. And then I'll say what I actually did because I didn't have the funding to do what, what most private companies do. And this is actually why so many supplements never get any clinical validation, right? Because it's so expensive, right? Um, most um, private companies, they'll hire contract research organizations or sign contracts with, you know, public research teams and they fully fund the studies, right? So, a small study might end up costing hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? To do a small study of like 20 people for a month, right? Depending on what you're measuring, what you're doing, what you have to go through in protocols and set up. Um, you know, and that's why a lot of pharmaceuticals, I think the average pharmaceutical now costs about $2 billion, right? To get to market, right? From the preclinical research, you know, to the time it's available to be sold to the public, it costs $2 billion. Now they're incurring costs for all the failed molecules that didn't work out along the way. But even if you have like a molecule that is just perfect start to finish and you get all the work done, it, it can still be, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, right? To get it through the drug route with the clinical research that's needed, right? So it, it is a lot of time and money and testing. Um, and this is why, uh, you know, private supplement companies will get one or two little small studies, right? Or, or, you know, do one every couple of years. And you'll see some supplement, you know, some ingredients that are 20, 30 years old, and they now have six, seven clinical trials, right? Because they're, they're budgeting a little bit every couple of years to do another study to keep on strengthening their claims. Yeah, um, yeah. When they're also doing that, they're, 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 controlling the outcomes in a lot of ways because when the investment is really big like this uh, private companies want to make sure that they're controlling the results so they have final sign off on protocol right to make sure that it's structured in a way to show a result even if it's not how people would take it you know it can be misleading and they also have sign off on if the results get published right so if it doesn't find any benefit right? Private companies usually can, can bar the researchers from publishing results. That means we're only seeing the studies that worked. So what if a, a you know, wow. supplement company or a pharmaceutical company runs six trials to get it to work once? Really, that didn't work at all, yeah. right? But the, the five times it didn't work didn't get published. So that's not something I think is right or ethical or okay, no. right? So I went, went about things a different way. Um, I basically, I emailed every single researcher that I could find that had ever published a paper on molecular hydrogen, offering to support them with product, placebo, funds to, to strengthen their study, and saying that I want no control over study design or decision to publish, right? Like, I, I believe in open science. 
I, I got some bites, right? But, you know, the couple bites I got, and it was su such a low success rate. I, I probably emailed a couple hundred teams and, and got like two replies, right? But in forming relationships with a couple teams, you know, then other researchers start seeing that the work I'm doing and reaching out to me, right? And they start networking. They start saying, you know, how is this company to work with? right? Because public researchers are really wary about working with private companies. But just by building a reputation around, you know, honesty and integrity like this, and this is what I stand for, I stand for truth and finding science, the researchers do talk to each other. And they'll say, no, I, I do recommend working with this company, they'll, they'll donate, um, they want to make sure that the trials are better, right? You know, when they donate extra money, it's, it's not, you know, for X purpose to make sure you find a result. It, it's, often for better controls and a bigger study group and testing more parameters to look at things that make more sense that might be more expensive. Um, so now in, in just three and a half years since um, launching the, the technology you know, publicly, um, we have six clinical trials published. We have two case studies published. We have about 15 clinical trials that are currently at various stages underway or, or about to begin going through IRB and, you know, institutional review boards, like ethics committees and everything like that. I'm working with uh, 12 different, you know, public universities around the world, you know, um, throughout like every continent, but Australia. Um, and uh, yeah, we're just, just moving forward. I mean, um, a lot of like private estimates has our clinical, our clinical research program would be on the private market, you know, between 50 to $100 million to get done. Right, but it's been done almost entirely on public grant funds because I'm gambling. You know, I'm I'm letting the results speak for themselves. I'm not controlling outcomes. I'm not controlling decision to publish. So these research teams can use their own funds, mm. right? They can use their government funds to just basically go and search for truth. See, does this stuff work? Does it do anything? Mm. That's incredible. That is really good. That is really good. I mean, I mean, you'd mentioned that there's a lot of expense to, that that gets involved in, uh, you know, clinical research, and that probably is what makes people shy away from doing too much um, testing. But um, you know, and, and if, you, if the government doesn't make you, if uh, if you have no legal requirement to do this clinical research, and you can just make a bunch of vague claims right and put a, a shiny label on it and you know make a lot of vague claims that it does this or that and you know the population isn't educated on what constitutes science and proof and evidence then why would a private company no exactly the money in, in I, I just think i just think that's ludicrous though I, I think it's crazy that someone can just be like do you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna put a formulation together make these fake ass claims and put it on the market and people will just buy it and the government won't get involved to say, well, that's BS. Like that's some crazy, I've got to say that's some crazy shit. That is some mad shit. Seriously. It, it, it's, it's always finding that, that, that balance, um, you know, and, and it's to not get too political or too down the rabbit hole. You, you always get, and especially, and I, I know it's going that way in the UK too, but in the U S everything is so binary everything is black or white, right? Everything is either like, say for this instance, it's either we need more government or we need no government, 
right? It's never we need smarter government, right? Or we need to support better ways for the government to do their job. Um, and, and you see it, it's when the government has too many regulations, there's too many roadblocks and nothing gets done, right? But when the government has no regulations or oversight or enforcement, then companies are left to just cheat people, right? And act unethically. And it, it's unfortunate that in that type of system that, that it, it seems often the least ethical people are the ones that rise to the top because they're the willing to cheat, rob, steal, lie, you know, betray, do all these things, right, without consequences, right? And it's, I don't think any country has really found the good balance between getting effective government and allowing private business to be effective, right? You know, it always comes with the trade-off. And as humanity, we just always have to be looking for better. You know what I mean? To know that these systems are, are barely hanging on. Right. And we've got to find better ones to make sure we're improving. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I had the answer for those. Yeah, no, no, I understand. So, all right. So let's say I'm a consumer or I'm a customer and I'm looking for good hydrogen tablets. You know, I've done a bit of Google searching. I've heard some great stuff just like yourself. And I want to, I want to buy something. How can a person know what is good hydrogen water? What is the things to look out for? So there, there's, um, I've got an article on my website comparing hydrogen technologies, right? There's a lot of technologies that just don't deliver good hydrogen. Um, there's a lot of ready drinks that don't deliver any hydrogen. I know, uh, I think it was uh, the Japanese government um, looked at 19 ready to drink products in Japan and found 17 of them didn't have detectable hydrogen gas in them. You know, like cans and bottles on the market. Um, it's the same thing. A lot of like machines that get sold in, in the U.S. and Europe have very low hydrogen production, or or they have hydrogen. You know, in the first few days, they quickly start breaking and deteriorating. Right. Um, there's tablets that I make, which, which are the only ones that are legally registered in any country in the world. Um, there's other tablets. Um, there's ones that you swallow that don't have any safety data, right? It could be potentially harmful. Uh, there's other ones that you have to seal in a bottle, right? And I've seen some of those COAs and they have potentially dangerous levels of heavy metal. Um, it's another thing we had to go through as the only hydrogen supplement in the world who has properly registered our product, declaring everything and what goes into it to making this stuff. Um, with any world government like we did, you know, with the US FDA, um, we had to go through so many safety checks, you know, like um, we're using a pharmaceutical grade of the magnesium, which is the same that they use in like biodegradable like screws they put in your body, right? So the safety pro profile of it is off the charts. There, there's so little contamination. Uh, of course, then we have to get it really processed to a, a very specific way, but, you know, there's a kind of like underground stories of some of these other tablet manufacturers that aren't going through all the legal processes I do that just buy bulk lots of the magnesium from like fireworks wholesalers. No, right. No. And it's completely different grades. You know, I've, I've tested some of it and, you know, seen uh, dangerous levels of heavy metals, like a single tablet would violate like California's prop 65, for instance. Um, so there's definitely things to be aware of. Um, 
as for the open cup tablets and there is uh, i've seen people try and rip off my open cup technology that that don't get them off me but most companies on the market do um not all of them um will will directly link themselves to me um some of them try and keep it a a, a bit of a secret to get it off me but most companies will go on like a podcast and say, yeah, no, we, we get the product from Alex or they'll have me on their podcast or they'll have me write a guest letter or, you know, actually I, I think a good 15, 20 brands will put powered by drink HRW on the back of their logo, okay. right. On the back of their label, just to show people that like, yeah, no, these are the legal ones we're making it. Wow. Uh, but there are a few good companies that don't, right. They don't do that. Uh, but they're still good companies and I, I still produce for them. Um, I guess I just do your due diligence. Um, I'd ask questions. I'd ask, you know, where it comes from. I'd ask if it's legally registered, um, questions like that. Um, so, you know, I'm, let's say I'm looking on a website. I see someone says, yep, um, hydrogen tablets. Start talking about all his benefits. Um, is there no way without asking them that I can do some research on their stuff? Well, yeah. it, it, it's it's, you know, Again, and this is in, in me uh, being kind of like the voice and spokesperson of Drink HRW, mm-hmm. I make sure a lot of money is spent on things that other brands aren't doing. Like, right. for instance, Drink HRW is the only brand um, that has uh, submitted the product to aftermarket, like informed sport testing, right? Mm-hmm. So the Drink HRW lots um, have been submitted to full like world anti-doping agency standards, right? So there's no contaminants in them before they hit the market. That's that's an expensive process that we do for athletes because Drink HRW works with a lot of professional athletes that get testing. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, any of the other brands that I produce for would have anything, you know, in them. I, I have, you know, pretty similar manufacturing protocols for most companies, you know, depending on, on their own, you know, requirements and different ingredients things like that but uh as you see with a lot of pro athletes especially in the united states there can always end up being contaminants right if things get run properly you know if i send it to a different packager right so for athletes definitely i know most sports leagues don't allow their their athletes to take products unless they've been either in form sport or NSF or BSCG or there, there's one in Australia too. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's an important thing. Drink HRW is the only company that is uh, um, submitted, you know, to this testing. Um, and also Drink HRW is the only brand so far that has paid H2 analytics, which is doing the testing for the international hydrogen standards association um, for gas chromatography results on our lot right so as a company natural wellness now i do gas chromatography results for bigger you know productions and i spot check it you know a couple times a year mm-hmm. but drink hrw is the only one that has gone and, and posted and paid the extra fees to post it on the website these are the gas chromatography results this is how the tablet works That's so amazing. you know you, you might look and say okay like Drink HRW might be, you know, two bucks more than this other brand. And those costs are directly for this assurance every time it's been tested, it's been tested thoroughly, doing all these things because it's it's just quality controls that that just consumers should know. 
Yeah. Right. Because you should know that this stuff works, that this stuff is clean, that it's being tested properly. That's great, man. That is really good. That, that, that assurance there is what everybody needs before they buy any product. So that's amazing. So let's talk about the benefits. Not everybody knows the benefits of hydrogen water, what it does. I remember doing a post on it before and people were saying, well, what's wrong with just regular water? Like, why do you need hydrogen? Like uh, my water is fine. I've got a filter. (laughs) So So walk us through the benefits of having hydrogen water. Yeah. So first and foremost, the benefit comes from the added hydrogen gas, right? You know, it's, we're not changing the compound of water. We're not filtering the water or anything like that. This isn't a replacement for your reverse osmosis system or distilled water or your mineral water or anything like that. This is an addition to, right? And when you think of hydrogen water, think about, you know, sparkling water, right? Sparkling water is, is carbon, you know, carbonation, carbon dioxide added to the water right? Hydrogen water is hydrogen gas added to the water. So yes, water already has hydrogen in it, but as a compound, we're adding extra gas into the solution, right? Which is a completely different concept. Now, the reason you want hydrogen gas and hydrogen gas is a therapeutic agent, right? It's not the water, it's the hydrogen gas. The reason you want it in the water rather than inhalation is for two reasons. One, uh, there's about 90 publications in humans on hydrogen, molecular hydrogen therapy right now, and 60% of them are using dissolved in water. There's far more research on hydrogen dissolved in water than in inhalation. Now, in the preclinical research, so research in cell cultures and in rodents and such, uh, there is no instance where inhalation has worked better than dissolved in water, but there's many instances where dissolved in water has worked better than inhalation, right? And hydrogen dissolved in water seems to work as well or better than inhalation at about 1% the dose in the models that have been looked at. So you need a lot less of it and it seems to work better, right? Now we still need a lot more research on this, right? To find out maybe there's an instance where inhalation works better than than drinking the water. You know, there could be instances where where bathing in hydrogen water works better and we have clinical research on on our bath tablets, right? Um, You know, we we need a lot more clinical research on this and even preclinical research on this as society to to get this information. What's the best dose? What's the best administration method for each individual, you know, case and and usage of it? Um, But as it stands, hydrogen water has the most evidence, right? And seems to work better at a lower dose than than inhalation. Um, Now, why you'd want it in general, Molecular hydrogen has shown a benefit in 170 different disease models across every organ in the mammalian body, over 1,500 publications in the last 13 years, and 90 publications in humans, right? So there's amassing a good amount of evidence here, and what hydrogen is doing is actually a lot more important than just there's a bunch of studies on it. Um, Hydrogen is is seeming to act kind of like... a supervisor or like a regulator within our cells, right? It seems to be a really smart molecule that it does different things in different models. Even it does different things to different systems depending on what's needed. Um, Now, hydrogen has shown to be anti-inflammatory, 
but also pro-inflammatory, right? Inflammation isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's part of our, our, our immune system, right? It's our response to damage and threats. In fact, there's, uh, there's some interesting like case reports and publications that uh, perhaps one of the reasons why, why COVID-19 is so devastating is it's not uh, in these asymptomatic and mild cases, it's not uh, seeming to, to trigger an inflammatory response. Right, so is it going through our system undetected and doing far more damage than than it should have if our immune system had realized it was there? Um, you know, we don't want to be constantly suppressing our inflammation, right? We want harmony, right? We want the right response to the right threat. So hydrogen has shown to kind of regulate our inflammatory response, and there's some really cool models and like flu, like really cool studies and like flu-like models where hydrogen at first will increase inflammation and increase your heat in response to a viral threat. And then as they're getting out of control, suppress them back down before wow. they become too, too dangerous. So it's some really cool biphasic responses that are, are being shown um, in some of this research. And the same thing is actually true for, for our redox. Now, um, for listeners, redox is the, the harmony between, between you know, reactive oxygen oxygen species, which lead to oxidative stress and, and our body's own antioxidants, right? So antioxidant marketers always say you want more antioxidants. Oxidative stress is bad. Free radicals are bad, 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 all these things. But in the last several decades, we, we've come to realize that um, not only are, are a lot of free radicals like nitric oxide, for instance, and anyone who works out a lot knows about supplements to boost your nitric oxide for, for performance. I mean, even for other purposes, like, you know, getting an erection, that's, that's how Viagra works on your nitric oxide cycle. Um, nitric oxide's a, a, you know, free radical. And a lot of these oxidative stresses um, have important roles within the cell and cell signaling, right? And, and again, it's this harmony we need, right? Between the reactive oxidative species and our own antioxidants. Um, it, it's something called redox homeostasis, right? So it's this, this harmony that they, they work together in, in the right amounts, um, not balance per se, but more harmony. Um, and that's why all of these uh, longitudinal studies on, on high-dose antioxidant therapy has shown that taking in a lot of antioxidants not only doesn't come with benefits, it comes with potentially disastrous consequences from increased all-cause mortality to increased cancer rates to decreasing the effectiveness of cancer therapies, right, by, by suppressing them. So we don't really want to be flooding our body with all these antioxidants. Now, what hydrogen has shown to do is regulate um, our body's own production of antioxidants by something called the, the NRF2 pathway, right? It's also shown to regulate some of our, our beneficial good guy oxidative stresses, right? Like, you know, or, or nitrosative stresses like nitric oxide. So hydrogen has shown to drive this harmony, this redox homeostasis, right? With, with in our cells. Um, it's done this with other things too. Um, like, uh, do you know what autophagy is? Yeah, I practice that every day. <laughs> so autophagy is usually good, but sometimes it's bad, right? In a couple models, Hydrogen has activated autophagy for a beneficial response. And in one model, which was cardiac failure um, in a rodent model, hydrogen suppressed auto autophagy, which was beneficial in that model. Sorry, can my you explain why that would happen? And how can a person know whether it has been 
suppressed in them if their goal is to have autophagy? Well, I think uh, that's one one thing, and it's 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 difficult. We need a lot more research on this, right? And different things are going to be advantageous or, or deleterious depending on on the timing, right? You might not always want to do the same thing all the time, and you know, even people who, who like talk about like fasting and like the benefits of autophagy and fasting, you don't want to be fasting all the time. Too much autophagy is a bad thing, right? But you want it, you know, for the cell clearance and everything. Um, I want to say that we're starting to link hydrogen a lot to our evolution, right? And perhaps, you know, as is always the case or often the case, evolution is smarter than we are. So hydrogen seems to play a critical role in all this regulation. And we don't have any adverse events of it yet. There's no known overdoses or cases where it's too much. That, that will be the true truth at some point. You know, there will be a point where too much of a good thing is bad, right? That's true for exercise. That's true for so many things. And actually hydrogen is showing to be um, a hormetic stressor, just like exercise is or cold exposure or heat exposure um, or fasting. Um, but more importantly, it seems to actually regulate the responses when taken in conjunction with these other hormetic stressors like exercise. Right, which is actually some really cool research that hydrogen seems to potentiate the benefits of exercise while actually speeding up the recovery and blunting the negative you know, amazing. consequences of it. Um, you know, at, at this point, to the wonderment of a lot of researchers, hydrogen seems to know what to do in the right situations. Right. So, to me, I, I you know, tend to trust it more than to try and say, I want to activate autophagy now and I hope hydrogen does it at this instant. Right, <laughs> right, right. You know, that, that just is, is so much guesswork and we, it's, it, it's just too much information we, and we don't have all, all the data to know that. Um, but I mean, hydrogen has been with the, us from, from the very, very beginning. Um, you know, there, there's theories on our mitochondria, you know, evolved from these single cell organisms that, that ran on hydrogen as a fuel source. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, 17 of the oldest water supplies in the world sampled like deep underground, like a kilometer underground, like billion, 2 billion year old water supplies, all 17 of them had dissolved hydrogen gas in them. Right. So clearly there was, you know, parts throughout evolution where hydrogen was a lot more present and a lot more involved in, in our existence, right? And perhaps this is why such a small amount of hydrogen gas, and we produce 10 liters of hydrogen gas a day through bacteria breaking down carbohydrates in our small intestines. So why does taking, you know, getting an extra 70, 80 milliliters in a single tablet have such a profound therapeutic effect? And Researchers have noted that taking this high dose of hydrogen intermittently acutely doubles our cellular concentration, right? Five, 10 minutes, right? Five, 10 minutes, our cellular concentration is doubling, right, of hydrogen gas. And when this acute burst happens, all of these changes in our cell signaling, all these changes in our, our gene expression, um, you know, the, Oh, you always hear it. It's all about your genes. Well, it's not really 
what your genes are, it's how your genes express themselves. Hydrogen has shown thousands of beneficial alterations in gene expressions throughout the research, right? So whatever this acute burst in hydrogen gas is doing, it's acting as sort of a supervisor and regulator and just correcting things to how they seemingly should be running, right? You know, if all the daily stresses and damages weren't, weren't accumulating and knocking everything askew. It sounds like, like an adaptogenic herb, but it's an adaptogenic gas or something. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I, I'm hesitant to use the word adaptogenic because right. it's on the FDA blacklist, right? They hate that word. Okay. But, um, <laughs> if you take the word adaptogenic, I mean, I don't think anything fits better to adaptogenic than, than hydrogen. Um, I don't use it in marketing, but uh, um, it has shown the most adaptive alterations to fit the models. Um, you know, there, there's some really cool research that, that uh, um, I can't quite talk about yet because it's still under manuscript review, oh, yeah. but some of our clinical research that's already published, um, for instance, uh, we basically, um, uh, a six six month trial, sixty participants using three tablets a day. It uh, reversed metabolic syndrome, right? Which is pre diabetes. Um, about one in three North Americans have metabolic syndrome. I'm guessing it's pretty similar in the UK. Um, Twenty measured outcomes. It dramatically improved eighteen of them, right? From you know BMI and waist to hip ratio to fasting blood glucose to to their redox you know like to their serum antioxidant levels what their body was producing to their inflammation and, and you know triglycerides and just just cholesterol panel and across the board it, it improved them um, and in just 28 days we, we showed it in a non-alcoholic fatty liver disease population which is again a pre-diabetic condition that about one in three people in North America and likely the UK have um, it, it significantly reduced liver fat. It dropped um, AST, which is an enzyme that's elevated in NAFLV by like 10 or 11%. And it improved insulin sensitivity by 11% in the 28 days, right? So when people think about becoming insulin resistant, that's what leads to diabetes. Um, mm. Hydrogen, and it was just a small trial, it was just 12 people crossover. But the crossover design means that they took both the placebo and, and the hydrogen and then mm. reversed. So, you know, it was double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized, crossover, right? So it, it's more like doing a study on 24 people. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, hydrogen improved insulin sensitivity by 11%. And, you know, it's shown to improve various things with blood sugar and insulin and a lot of other studies too and a lot of rodent research. But it goes deeper than that. Um, you know, we, we have a study that was... You know, we've got a couple in, in athletic performance, but we've got one that just came out like a week ago uh, on sleep deprivation, right? And, and we're learning more and more how much, how critical sleep is, right? To our health, our physiology, a single day of bad sleep can put you in a temporary diabetic state, right? And then you're also making bad decisions on what you eat. So sleep deprivation could be one of the causative factors in a lot of these metabolic issues. Well, it was in 23 young, healthy participants in a crossover manner, head-to-head -head against 100 milligrams of caffeine. And one of the hydrogen tablets was equivalent in raising 
the standardized scales of alertness as 100 milligrams of caffeine. But what was really unique is they altered completely different aspects of the test, you know, pointing that they're changing different parts of the brain, right? Mm-hmm. So not only may hydrogen be an alternative, a safe alternative to caffeine, to people who are caffeine sensitive or caffeine doesn't work, but for others, it could be synergistic or complementary. Right, because hydrogen affected something called orienting, which caffeine had no effect on. Mm, that's amazing. So, you know, and, and think about everything that goes on with sleep deprivation, how impaired we are. We don't get enough work done, we're tired, we eat worse, we don't go to the gym, right, when we're sleep deprived. And we've got um, several studies in the works that, that have sleep components to them. Right, one that's starting in the U.S. in pro athletes that's going to look at like muscle soreness and sleep quality, right? Because pro athletes suffer from so many sleep, you know, sleep dysfunctions, right? From how much they train, how much they travel, all these things. Um, we're looking at, at uh, sleep at, at a major university, where a top ten world university is doing significant clinical research on sleep. Um, it, it's under uh, manuscript prep, and they found some pretty amazing results on, on what hydrogen does for multiple outcomes regarding sleep. Uh, but we've included it in, in other studies. Um, one that's set to get underway in September, it, it's uh, six months on 34 people, but it's on an aged population 70 plus. And these researchers are going to be looking at like 20 outcomes that are directly related to aging, right? From, you know, from telomeres to DNA methylation and, you know, um, advanced glycation and product cross-linking inflammation, but also like blood sugar and oxidative stress and, you know, TET2 enzyme found in young blood, but not in old blood. They're going to be looking at all of these and plus sleep and fitness and everything for six months in, in a 70 plus population. Right. So there's a lot of um, promise for hydrogen. Right. Um, for a lot of this, uh, you know, stuff relating to health span. Um, and that's one study, one really cool study that was done. And uh, they botched the human side a little bit because um, the dose was so low. But it was a, a study where they concurrently measured lifetime hydrogen consumption in mice but they also measured hydrogen consumption in in about 80 people with mild cognitive impairment, which is the the stage before Alzheimer's dementia. Um, But the dose was super low. It was only 0.3 milligrams a day. One tablet gives six milligrams a day. Well, hydrogen in those people, uh, basically it reversed some of the cognitive decline in people, but only ones with the APOE4 gene, which is called the Alzheimer's gene, Right. right? Um, you know, but uh, not in the other group, but the dose was so low, right? The mice actually got a higher dose, right? They were drinking more, right, for body weight, and it was something like a 60 times higher dose that the mice were getting, but the mice that, that drank it throughout their entire life didn't develop any of these neurological conditions. They didn't develop dementia. And um, if you look at the graphs in the mice, like in, in, in the control mice and the wild mice, you know, a couple of control groups, uh, the, the lifespans were all over the map, right? Maybe like dying anywhere from like 60 to 100, like in a person. They were just scattered throughout. The hydrogen group was tight all along, like comparative to like the 100-year-old mark, right? Mm-hmm. All the mice that drank the hydrogen for life 
live to the maximal lifespan, right? So none of them were dying early. So again, that's just in mice, right? But that, that was really cool. And what we look at what hydrogen's been doing to people, right? In the, this phase one, phase two clinical research, it does suggest that hydrogen could, could potentially dramatically improve our health spans. Maybe not have us live forever or even live longer than we would have if we lived a perfect life, but to mitigate all these damages that cause us to age faster than we should and die earlier than we should. Mm. Would you say that hydrogen, it's, you mentioned it's like a antioxidant. Obviously it's got loads of other benefits. So if we was to look at your typical antioxidant and we look at hydrogen, um, what's, what's the main difference between both of them? You would say, so, so a standard antioxidant will just go into your cell and directly react with, with reactive oxidative species and just reduce them. Right. So mm -hmm. if you take too many, it's taking out the good and the bad guys because there's some oxidative like species that are, that are good, that, that, provide beneficial results in cell signaling. We need this harmony. And there's some that are really, really nasty and bad guys. Mm. Hydrogen doesn't really do that. You know, you can coax hydrogen into being an antioxidant in vitro, like in, in a, a, you know, Petri dish, but only with the hydroxyl radical, which doesn't have any beneficial roles. It's the nastiest, or, and peroxide nitrite too, actually. They're the nastiest, you know, free radicals there are. Um, but to hydrogen instead, and I've got kind of like a video explainer on my website that shows this, rather than hydrogen flooding in like a war against reactive oxidative species, hydrogen goes and turns the dial on our body's own defense system of antioxidants, the NERF2 pathway, and turns the dial to release the right amount that go after and deal with the bad guys and harmonize between the good reactive oxidative species and the antioxidant levels to kind of keep that harmony, that homeostasis. That's good. Jazz. That's brilliant. I think a lot it, of people need to know that. Yeah. It takes a guesswork out, right? Cause yeah. if you're just trying to balance, if you think, Oh, I have too much oxidative stress and you're trying to balance with antioxidants, the antioxidants you're taking are, are they're not smart. They're indiscriminately taking out the good and bad guys. Mm -hmm. And how can you possibly guess to take the right amount? Right. You'd have to be like checking your blood at, at all times, Mm -hmm. right for markers to try and find that balance well hydrogen shown to be smart right it regulates the harmony so you're you're correcting you to proper levels mm. this podcast is brought to you by magnesium breakthrough magnesium is one of the most essential minerals required by the body the problem with what we have today is that much of our soil are destroyed which means deficiency in much of the food which we buy. The level of stress in modern society is more too, which means magnesium depletion in our body. Overall, a large majority of the population is deficient in magnesium and they wouldn't even know. Some common symptoms of low magnesium are fatigue, tiredness for no logical reason, digestive issues, muscle cramps, weak pumps when training, irregular heartbeat, just to name a few. 
Magnesium Breakthrough has seven blends of magnesium with a precursor to increase chances of absorption. To get your hands on these high quality supplements, visit bioptimizers.com and use coupon code SNIPES10 for 10% off. That website link again is bioptimizers.com and use coupon code SNIPES10 for 10% off. I just want to take a moment to talk to you guys about something which I use to protect me from EMF. Now, I have a few basics like a grounding mat, a grounding sheet, um, even grounding underwear. But I also use a special device called a Samavedic. Now, Samavedic has precious and semi-precious stones, which is used to harmonize the harsh effects from EMF and EMR. Not forgetting geopathic zones, which affects some of our households. The device creates a protective radius of up to 200 feet in all directions. Not only would you benefit by your wellness and reduction in free radicals, which could lead to oxidative stress, premature aging and disease, your family can benefit too. Not even forgetting your pets or your plants. So it's pretty incredible stuff. Now they have many testimonials available on their website alongside pre-clinical research with downloadable PDFs so that you can have a good read yourself. Now, if you want to pick yourself up one of these cool Somavedic devices, then go to my show notes and click on the link. Now, me, myself, I have one of the Medic Green Ultras. I believe that ticks all the boxes for uh, the EMF protection, uh, free radicals, neutralization, also things like viruses and bacteria which are in the air and uh, not forgetting molds. Sometimes you've got some hidden molds that you might not know about that you've had some kind of reaction to and also parasites. It creates this nice harmonious environment. And uh, it's also fantastic for water structuring. Um, it's it's incredible. It's something which has definitely changed my life, changed my feelings. <laughs> and I tend to be a lot more at peace. So all you need to do, just click the link in my show notes and use my coupon code, which is SNIPES15 to get yourself a 15% discount. So this is slightly, um, well, still, still on water, but I remember the first time I started looking into hydrogen water. Um, I actually learned about hydrogen water when I was looking into alkaline water. I heard so much about alkaline water. Oh my God, it's amazing, it's amazing. So I tried doing a bit of research on it and I was just getting mixed reviews on it. I was like, man, I really don't know. But one thing which I saw about the alkaline water was if people had the generators, um, they seem to have this 
therapeutic benefit because of the hydrogen bubbles released from it. Um, but there was no guarantee that that was an ongoing process. But what I wanted to ask from you is alkaline, like an, uh, an alkaline machine or alkaline water in comparison to hydrogen, like what, what would you say? How would you compare them? So, um, there is some crossover, like not all alkaline water has hydrogen and not all hydrogen water is alkaline water, right? But some alkaline water machines also dissolve hydrogen gas, right? And the hydrogen machine I bought was actually an alkaline water ionizer that, you know, is partially rebranded as a hydrogen. Okay, right, right yeah. Um, so they use electrolysis to dissolve hydrogen gas. And there's been some really cool preclinical research that shows that um, if you take this uh, alkaline water, right, that, that's produced, right, you know, there's several studies on this, and you, you produce it in a way so it's below the therapeutic level, because some of them aren't therapeutic, and some of them do, it depends on source water. So if you produce, you know, a low amount of this hydrogen water and give it to mice, but then you also take that same alkaline water and add hydrogen gas to it, or there's been other studies that you you know you let it degas so the hydrogen's gone and then you give the fresh one with hydrogen gas into it. That the only therapeutic benefit of these alkaline water ionizers is when they're dissolving hydrogen gas. Oh right, you know. So when it's been controlled and sussed out, it's only the hydrogen gas that is having any therapeutic benefit. And you know this is one of the things that that had to be reconciled because there was some clinical research on alkaline water ionizers. There was so many you know, millions of people saying they found a benefit in them. And some of these machines will get an okay amount of hydrogen with the right source water, right? You might get one machine, you know, you might get a machine that produces one parts per million of hydrogen, you know, in one city and then doesn't dissolve any in another city because of the source water, right? Or one person is thoroughly cleaning their machine every day and another person hasn't cleaned it in six months, Right, so the one person who hasn't cleaned it has damaged their machine through through calcification and scaling on the plate, so it'll never dissolve hydrogen again. So they're kind of finicky technologies for things like this, but there is a lot of people who likely have gotten real health benefits from these machines if they've been cleaning them properly and they're in a place that has good source water, right? But uh, it, it it had to be reconciled because you know from from you know, the physiological standpoint, consuming more alkaline water isn't going to do anything to your blood or body alkalinity. Um, in fact, you don't want it to. There's a really tight window. If you dramatically alter your, your blood pH, you're going to die, right? Uh, but not only that, these uh, water ionizers, and I, I know one of my chemist friends uh, who, who's, you know, a hydrogen researcher and got into it in, in trying to look into what was going on with these water ionizers has done the math and chemistry and found that um, one teaspoon of baking soda has equivalent buffering capacity. So can neutralize as much acid as 10,000 liters uh, of this like nine and a half pH water found in the most popular ionizer. 10,000 liters, right? Because, um, you know, the pH isn't directly related to the buffering capacity right? Like the, the pH can be one thing, but how much acid it can neutralize is another. So actually it's great that these water ionizers are such weak buffers, you know, otherwise they, they could be potentially harmful. Mm -hmm. 
It's mad. But yeah, no, it's just the hydrogen gas. That, that's yeah. all there is to it. Okay. Okay. You know, and, and a lot so, of them will talk about the ORP, right, of it. And um, th- that's related to the hydrogen gas and a calculation between the hydrogen gas and pH. You know, it's a pretty shoddy calculation. But without the hydrogen gas, without any, you know, they wouldn't be de- detecting this negative oxidation reduction potential. Right, right, right. Because there's a lot of people who swear blind and say it's all about alkalinity, alkaline water. I remember even when I was traveling in the airport, I was trying to find a decent glass bottle of water and uh, I saw one that said the alkaline water 9.0 or something like that. I was like, they're selling alkaline water now? And I'm just trying to figure, well, what's, what's the benefit exactly, you know? Bottled alkaline water, there'd be no benefit because by the time they bottle it and put it to the market, there's no hydrogen gas left in it. And even like the the alkaline water ionizers, um, yeah, they, they were probably the best technology to get, you know, hydrogen water five, six years ago. But that's because they were the only thing available and they were doing it by accident. Now that we know that it's a hydrogen gas, that's the only therapeutic part there's so many technologies that are designed just to deliver hydrogen, right? And, and these ionizers do it so inconsistently, you, you know, as an afterthought, right? And what they were trying to, to get out of the water. Um, why spend thousands on something that's not aiming to do the only therapeutic part of it, right? And, and that you will get inconsistent results with. Yeah. Let's look at, the different methods in which you can get the hydrogen. Now, I, I know that there's, there's some where you mentioned that you could uh, put it in a bath. There's like, um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So the bath tablets, and actually we, we just had a clinical trial. We, we have a case study and a clinical trial published on these bath tablets. And um, we have two other clinical trials that are, are about to begin on the bath tablets. Uh, but... Uh, the first two um, showed pretty good results. A case study was on a pro soccer player that had a grade two ankle tear and, and it was pretty remarkable swelling decreases. The yeah. second was 18 pro soccer players head to head against rice protocol. So for any listeners that, that aren't aware, rice protocol is the standard therapy used after acute ankle tears. It's rest, ice, compress, elevate, right? So hydrogen actually showed um, an equivalent but trending to be more prominent effect to rice protocol in the first 24 hours, right? After injury, right? So just doing a hydrogen bath instead of the rice, right? On on a similar procedure. Now, the big takeaway from this is in just 24 hours, hydrogen was trending to be better than rice. It just hadn't reached um, statistical significance yet. And if there were 30 people instead of 18, it would have, for instance, because there's more data points, but two, Rice shines in the first 24 hours. It's really good at getting pain and swelling down in the first 24 hours. Mm. The big knock and a lot of reasons why a lot of pro sports trainers, athletes, trainers don't use rice anymore is it comes at a cost. It reduces swelling, reduces pain, improves comfort, but it slows down blood plasma flow. It slows down blood flow to the injury site, which slows down healing. Hydrogen has shown to do the opposite. 
right? So it's simultaneously getting the swelling down, you know, getting the pain and discomfort down, but hydrogen has shown to actually increase blood plasma flow in other research, wow. right? So this is going to spin into a, a bigger trial, right? Where they're going to measure recovery time, how long until pro athletes are back to their sport, right? Doing either rice or hydrogen. And if, if that shows good results, which um, extrapolating off all the other research it should, then hydrogen would be on its way to replacing rice protocol for, for ankle tears and soft injury tears. That's amazing. That is really good. What about, um, I think you've got this, again, there's different ways in which hydrogen is. I think that you've got them in bottles as well or in cans. Are there yeah. um, some hydrogen in cans that you can open up? Like metal? And, and they're variable. Like I said, um, the Japanese government found 17 of 19. They tested on the Japanese market, had no hydrogen okay. right, in it or like well below the therapeutic detection level. Um, there is uh, one company that has a decent you know, amount of hydrogen gas in the can in the US, it's not nearly as much as the tablets and it's more expensive, but you know, they, they, they have a, at least a therapeutic level in their can. There's some products in like pouches and everything, you know, um, one company in pouches will claim three PPM, but I've never had anyone be able to test it at, at one, right? There's actually, um, uh, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say a, a colleague, a friendly colleague, um, not a customer or anything yet, but uh, a company in Malaysia that I, I've been friends with that has, I think it's a $10,000 or $25,000 reward for anyone that can deliver a pouch that can be measured at the 3 ppm claim from this huge ready-to-drink manufacturer because they're all measuring 0. 0.6, 0. 0.8, right? They're claiming three. Right, but they're measuring 0. 0.6, 0. 0.8, and then they're in 200 milliliters, and that's what people are forgetting. You know, we, we uh, you know, one ppm in 200 milliliters is only 0. 0.2 milligrams of hydrogen. Right, yeah. you have to drink a lot of those pouches. One of the tablets is giving 6.2 milligrams of hydrogen when you dissolve it, as we instruct in 500 milliliters. Six. Right? What is that? 6.2. Wow. So we're giving over 30 times as much hydrogen as these pouches that cost three, four dollars. Right. So there is one ready to drink that's giving, I think it's in a, a 333 milliliter can and it's giving about three or four PPM. It's a pretty good dose. But again, I think the can's like three bucks. Right. And it, it's not as big as what you dissolve a tablet and it's triple the price and like a third or a fourth the dose or the third or the fourth concentration at only, you know, two thirds of the, the amount. So it, it's a far lower dose and a far worse value. You know, you get 15 times better value of the tablets, right? To do that. Let's talk so, more into that about the, the dosage and what is a, a good therapeutic value? Because people who have never used it before how would they know what's good and what's not and maybe even how could a person measure it as well to know that it's you know giving the dose which it said that it is so there is a reagent that you can use um there's a lot of uh, it, it's like uh, these drops and when you drop the blue drops and they go clear um if you're measuring the tablets make sure you don't order the ethanol version there's a big disclaimer on their site um due to numerous factors the, the eco version that they can send by air 
it only works for dissolved gas, whereas the tablets are um, delivering a mix of, of quasi-dissolved nanobubbles and dissolved gas, right? right. And, and their eco version actually knocks them out of suspension because they, they sink down, but they have an ethanol version, which is the, the standard version that, that you measure it well. Um, there are protocols to use. Usually, I mean, a lot of labs won't even pick up titration methods in their lab because there's a lot of room for user error right but it is available to consumers just know that if you have a dramatic different reading than say what a manufacturer is showing a report on there's a good chance it's you that's making a mistake because a lot of licensed accredited labs won't pick up titrations like this because of the sensitivity and the chance of user error uh but yeah there are um there's hydrogen meters, they don't work, right? They, they extrapolate on something called, you know, ORP and on the pH, and they're wildly inaccurate. The IHSA recommends not to ever use them for any purpose, but a lot of companies sell them anyways. Um, there's labs cropping up. There's ones in Japan and Korea now in the US that do use gas chromatography. It's expensive, but that's why a lot of companies are doing it, taking it on its own, like Drink HRW is in, in publishing gas chromatography reports, right? So you know what you're getting. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I mean, uh, kind of industry oversight has a long way to go. And that's what the IHSA is trying to do. It is set up GC as the protocol and, you know, ensure that private companies are registering their products with the IHSA and getting it certified to show that we have therapeutic hydrogen, you know, because there are other good technologies, um, but it's just, it, it's hard to know what you're getting, right? There's machines that are pretty good, but there's others with issues, right? And I've broken down all of them, but I can't even break down every single model, right? You know, and, and especially coming from China, you'll get one machine that, that you test is good, but then you get a hundred other, you know, manufacturing facilities, you know, down the road that start copycatting and making the same machine, but taking out a part here or, you know, cutting a corner here. And then you're like, huh, you're like, that machine looks identical to that other one that's 400 bucks, right? And works well, but they're selling it for 120, mm -hmm. right? Like, is there something wrong with it? You know, and lo and behold, I know a lot of people who have tested ones. You know, and a lot of these, uh, you know, Chinese manufacturing rip art artists will literally copy everything from the design, right, to everything. So it appears to be identical and then they just sell it for cheap. But, you know, they, they cheap out on parts. And, you know, another business I had, I, I had a manufacturer do this to me. You know, we, we paid for the molding. We designed our machine. And before we even got our first shipment, we saw our exact machine on Alibaba and we had a contract that we owned it. We designed it. And they're like, it wasn't us. One of our employees must have sold it to a factory down the road. Oh, wow. Right. We're like, Oh yeah. Right. You know, but then same with that manufacturer, you know, we got it and all of a sudden we got a, a shipment of, of 200 machines that retailed at, you know, 1800 bucks a pop that were all broken. Right. And why? Because they'd replaced all of, you know, our, our rubber gaskets with plastic that was warped, right? And all of, you know, the hardware, you know, they, they were using this cheap, they, they just all of a sudden changed this cheap, you know, pot metal, and it all sheared off during ocean shipment, right? So we had to cancel 
all of our, our sales, like delay them. And they had to send us new hardware and we had to get our staff to reconstruct every single machine with, with new hardware and, and gaskets, you know, and then they told us, Oh, well, moving forward, you know, your price goes up $2 on a machine. We're retailing for 1800. <laughs> so when you see a lot of these machines that seem really cheap, you know, I, I've seen from the manufacturing side, it's often because they're cutting corners that can't be cut. Mm, yeah. Wow. Wow. So what, what is a good therapeutic dose? You mentioned about yeah, sorry, sorry, I didn't, I didn't answer that. It, no, that's okay. Yeah, that's complicated. It, it does seem um, now there are going to be models where, where maybe a low dose is good enough. Right. And, and low doses have worked for some things, but uh, in the two areas where we're amassing the most evidence so far in um, metabolic conditions, mitochondrial metabolic conditions and exercise, there's emerging a very clear dose dependent response. It seems the higher the dose for the longer the period, the better the results. Right. right? And, and that is emerging for exercise performance and recovery and for metabolic health. Now for another issue, maybe that's not the case, right? Maybe getting a milligram a day is just as good as getting 20 milligrams a day, right? You know, we don't know. But what we know in exercise and metabolic health, as we have scaled up dosages and, you know, clinical trials have gone longer, the higher the dose and the longer the clinical trial, the better the outcomes have been, even when they've been controlled better. So we will see one study on, say, metabolic syndrome, with which, you know, it is, has no placebo control, open label, right? But it's a low dose for only like, you know, two months and very mild benefits, right? And, and of course, there's a placebo effect. There's bias in there, all these things, really bad study. Then you see a bigger study with more people that's double blind, placebo controlled, that's all of a sudden three months with three times a dose. And there's much more prominent effects, right? And, and usually research goes the opposite way. When you start placebo controlling it and getting bigger groups, you don't see benefits, right? Mm -hmm. um, in hydrogen, it seems these bigger study groups that are controlled better with a higher dose for a longer period are finding more benefits than the really early open label, not controlled, not placebo controlled research. What, what is a high dose? What is a low dose? Like what? The highest dose on the planet of hydrogen water would be the tablets, right? Um, you know, which give about six milligrams a tablet. Um, you know, our highest oh, dose that we've yeah. given. Um, so it's in 500 milliliters and it's a equivalent. What our GC report showed, it was equivalent to taking 12.4 ppm in 500 milliliters, right? right? But that's why you have to look at the ppm and the volume. Right, because the, the PPM is a concentration, so you need to know how much you drank at what concentration. Right. right. So um, we we will deliver the equivalent between the quasi dissolved gas and the, the dissolved gas, and you know everything. The reserve tank of magnesium that keeps on going as the, the gas is dissipating, of the equivalent of twelve point four ppm in five hundred milliliters, which is six point two milligrams. Right. So it seems like the minimum observed benefits are somewhere between 0.3 to 0.5 milligrams. The IHSA has said 0.5 milligrams. There might be some very, very tiny benefits for very specific groups 
as low as 0.3 milligrams of hydrogen a day dissolved in water. Um, but there is a dramatic jump from 0.5 milligrams to one milligram and two milligrams. And then there seems to be a noticeable jump to go higher. And the higher we've gone in research, the more results. So with something with various hormetic ages, uh, hormetic aids, there's biphasic responses where you get to a peak and then there's a plateau and then it's bad for you, right? It's like exercise, right? If you don't exercise enough, it's bad for you. All of a sudden you add half an hour, an hour of exercise a day and it's good. And exercise is a very long plateau. Depending on the person, you know, an hour a day might be okay and six hours a day might be okay, right? If you're take, you know, eating properly, sleeping enough, all these things. But then you get into a lot of these pro athletes, you know, Olympians, right? Things like that, that are training all the time. They're traveling and doing all these things. And you look at, you know, guys who might be in their early twenties, right? But they're training eight hours a day, 10 hours a day. And they have the testosterone of an 80 year old man, right? <laughs> because they're just seriously unhealthy. Right. And, you know, I look at, uh, friends of mine you know people close to me that that seriously overtrain you think wow that person's so healthy right you know they've they've got no fat on them right they're so fit and, and there's a difference between fitness and health right and then you look at things like their sleep data right and it's like their heart rate variability is lower than mine is when i get blackout drunk right like because their body is just always under chronic stress their body is always running hot, trying to repair things at night. They're never cooling down. They're not getting REM sleep and deep sleep. Their heart rate isn't going down because their body's so stressed out. And you get this from a lot of high, high-performing athletes, pro athletes that just aren't taking rest days. They aren't doing these things. And that's when exercise becomes actually just stress, right? Because hormesis is a slight stress that you become stronger from. Right. But there's always a point where it just becomes stress. Right. You know, you, you fasting is a slight stress that you become stronger from. It activates autophagy, does all these things, balances your glucose homeostasis, all these cool things. But if you fast forever, you die. Right. Cause you, you run out of energy, right. Yeah. Um, you exercise with no break and you're weaker and you're unhealthier. Right. And, and for a lot of athletes, um, they don't get to the point where they're weaker, but they get to the point where they're actually not as healthy, right? Because they're not allowing themselves to recover. Yeah. So there might end up being that point for hydrogen. We just haven't found it yet. There's no dose that has been shown to fall down the curve, right? So for myself and for a lot of researchers, the theory right now is in, in an acute intermittent way, like taking it once or twice a day, the more the better. The more you can get in, the better right? Because there is no downslope, right? There's no curve down to where it's harmful. We're only, we're still going up. We haven't even found a plateau, let alone a decline. That's just amazing. Um, is it okay to just put it in normal tap water? I mean, yeah, that's what I do. I mean, yeah, yeah that's what I do. I mean, uh, I've sent like RO machines, like, um, you know, to, to, some people I, I care about that, that have really bad tap water where they're from. Yeah. But my tap water in Vancouver is like three PPM TDS. It's some of the cleanest in the world. Okay. Uh, so yeah. I don't, I don't even hook up the machine. 
right? That, that, you know, is the best one that, that I recommend. Um, there's one like in my office, right? Like down in the U S but I wouldn't want to drink that tap water. Right. So like, you know, I believe in the machine, but I'm not really a hypochondriac per se. I, I wouldn't say like, you always have to be doing this. So if you have really, really good tap water, there's, there's no reason to, to go hardcore on filtering. Right. But a lot of cities don't have very good tap water. Right. They have a lot of contaminants. Right. There's more and more reports coming out all over North America, um, finding, you know, pharmaceutical and, and narcotics and stuff in the tap water. Right. Like oh, even finding them like in the ocean. Right. Finding like, you know, cocaine and salmon, you know, and stuff like that, just from our sewage turning out. Like, so definitely, like, if you want to filter it, filter it. But I use tap water. Um, I recommend anywhere from distilled up to a couple hundred ppm of TDS it is fine. Um, just stay away from super high alkaline water that's actually an alkaline buffer, right? If it's super high mineral content water, it'll just take way longer for the tablet to dissolve, and it means you'll get less hydrogen, right? Because um, it, it the alkalinity in the water will be buffering the organic acids we're using to to facilitate the reaction. Right. So you'll just get much less hydrogen. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know. I'm sure a lot of people will benefit from that. What other supplements does your company do? Um, so we do one and we're about to do, start our first clinical trial on it. It's called ageless defense. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it's something, uh, my partner and I looked into for about 16 months and it's everything with evidence on it. Uh, that that inhibit or protect against these things called advanced glycation end product crosslinks, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, these ages are one of the causative factors in why we age, um, why we we develop a lot of issues, and uh, they're they're as of yet irreversible, right? And, and some of the ingredients in it have shown in, in preclinical evidence to work better than the best pharmaceutical candidates that we've come up with in the last you know, 20 years that we've been researching, you know, ages. So we, we have a, a clinical trial about to begin. Actually, all of our clinical research slowed down a lot because of COVID, right? Wow. We had a lot of clinical trials that had begun or were through ethics that, you know, were supposed to begin in February, March, that now are going to start in September, October. So this one was actually set to begin in June, right? But it's probably going to start in like November, December now. Right, right, right. And that's pending no second wave, right? right. Happening. But uh, we have that, um, something I filed a patent on that, that we spent 16 months looking into, um, doing a complete, you know, review of the literature and looking for. Um, and again, it, it's really important, uh, you know, it's why I, I'm investing in, in clinical research in that one, right? Because how, how you know, could people, sorry. Please continue. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I was going to say like, you know, cause it makes a lot of sense and you know, we, we ran it, um, not a trial, like informal trial yeah. on 20 people. Right. It's just kind of like an open label style. And we saw the benefits we were looking for. And that's kind of why we moved to market with it. Um, but it's not a clinical trial. Right. Um, so we're, we're doing a clinical trial and you know, if we do a couple of clinical trials and there's no benefit, I'll pull it, pull it off the market. Right. But, uh, we're pretty confident, um, in, uh, in it and 
the constituents on its own, a lot of the ingredients that are in the blend have significant clinical research on them from the public domain. Yeah. You know, stuff like alpha lipoic acid, you know, these ingredients. So that was another reason we felt more comfortable because we're putting in a lot of these ingredients that do have significant clinical research on their own. Right. And now we're looking at it for other endpoints that make a lot of sense that we've been seeing evidence for, you know, in, in this little in-house open label we did, um, you know, you know, on uh, um, staff and family and friends. Um, so that's kind of why we felt comfortable with that one. But uh, no, it's, it's, it's a, it's a cool product I'm passionate about. Other than that, we have the topical products and uh, everything else is just essentials. Right, you know, we offer creatine, caffeine, vitamin D, and omega three on the website, but mm-hmm. we don't upcharge for them. So if you buy like a hydrogen product or Ageless Defense, you can add any of those products at our cost, right? Because these are just commodity goods, yeah. right? You know, you can go to any contract manufacturer and buy five hundred or thousand bottles of any of these products, and they're things that everyone needs, right? So to get you know, I forget the exact prices, but to get creatine for five or seven bucks for a month supplier, to get caffeine for five bucks to get 200 milligrams a day for 30 days, we're just doing this kind of as an added service. I think our vitamin D and omega-3 are two bucks a piece. You know, something really? when, you, when you had it on. Yeah. Um, and we're just feeling because we're looking at that. They're commodities, right? Everyone has them, right? They're... they're um, they're just something that so many people want and use and buy and everyone has. And, you know, I just, I, I just didn't feel right to me to add them and charge five times, 10 times just to slap a label on. So we just put a really generic label on them and they're just essentials. And if you buy the products that we're putting our, our own huge efforts and clinical research and time and money and effort into, you can tag them on at our cost. So they're all, they've all been like clinically researched. They're all clean, like no, and you know, yeah. I mean, everything we make is in certified, you know, GMP facilities that are registered with, with, you know, the appropriate health authorities in Canada, the United States. Um, And they're all products that have significant clinical research. Like there's tons of clinical research on caffeine. There's tons of clinical research on creatine. Right. And the thing is um, with those, it's the dose that's important right? And the form, right? Yeah. So ours is creatine monohydrate, right? Um, caffeine anhydrous. So it doesn't really matter, you know, if, if the caffeine anhydrous was clinically studied in this label or that label, it's still a hundred milligrams or 200 milligrams of caffeine anhydrous, right? That right. you're getting, right? So yeah, absolutely. They, they, they're definitely, you know, to safety specs, they have certificate of analysis, right? They're clean products, um, but, uh, we're just adding them up at our cost. You know, if you buy one of our, our, you know, one of our, our, um, spotlight goods, like the hydrogen or, or the ageless, you know, you'll just get an option to say, do you want to add fish oil for $2 or vitamin D for $2 or caffeine for five, for instance, and you get a month supply. Right. Right. That's cool. I must say that I've been using the uh, HRW uh, hydrogen tablets and um, there's some nights I'm up late. Can't help it. I've just got work to do. 
It just has to be done. And I might be up until like early hours of the morning. But what I found is if I have the hydrogen tablets before I go to sleep, when I wake up, I feel quite fresh. I feel, I feel quite fresh. Like if I don't, I will definitely, and, and I wake up early. Like yeah. I'm not trying to suggest everyone should skip sleep. That's not what I'm trying to say. But it happens that you might go bed late and you have to wake up early. And it's a struggle for the brain. But when you have this, wow, wow, you kind of feel like, wow, did I just cheat sleep? <laughs> I can't do this too often, but wow, I am, I'm very happy that I feel much better. And I wish I could talk more about this uh, preclinical research under manuscript prep, because it goes into exactly what you're talking about. Um, but I'm probably the most excited about what we're we're you know, starting to do and find out regarding sleep. And it's probably the biggest anecdote we get, right? Like my sleep is just better, right? I, I get better sleep. You know, I just, I wake up feeling less tired. People who, who wear like sleep tracking are like, you know, I'm getting more deep sleep and REM sleep. And, you know, my, my heart rate variability is improving, right? I just feel more rested and recovered and now we have the clinical trial that showed that after the sleep gap you know it's is as good in caffeine but in a completely different way in raising the alertness so i mean if you are dealing with those late nights early mornings you know hydrogen can have two prongs right it can help you sleep better and get better quality sleep it seems you know for the few hours you get but then pick you up in the morning yeah yeah you feel fresh and if you go to bed late, like I'm, I'm one of those people, if I go to bed late and I wake up early, I will get a headache. It affects me that way. I don't yeah. know about everyone else, but I'm, I'm just, hydrogen. you know, I can wake up. No problem. Like I'm not the type to like hit snooze, 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 struggle to get up. I'll get up, but I just feel like a different person, you know, like a little bit of a headache, but I'm just, I'm just done like dumb, kind of like a zombie, right. Going through my tasks. Um, and I've definitely found, I find when I take hydrogen, either after sleep depth or jet lag or hungover, um, it's just kind of like, it's not like caffeine or a stimulant that like picks you up and gets you wired. It's just kind of like slowly you lose that tired feeling, right? Like you just slowly kind of go back to normal. Like, if I'm really tired, like after getting off like a flight in the morning and then I'm, you know, in a meeting and like, I find myself like having a hard time, you know, keeping up when I'm traveling and have been up since three in the morning and I sign back a hydrogen. It's not like I'm wired and jittery. I just can pay attention again. Yeah. Right. Like it just kind of brings me back to how you'd expect a normal day. <laughs> it's the same thing in a headache uh, or sorry, in a hangover. Um, my hangovers are, are a slamming headache, um, well, stomach issues, but and hydrogen doesn't seem to help get rid of that and acute hangovers uh, for me anyways. But I, I get uh, really stressed out and anxious after I get really drunk, like almost like my world is falling apart, right? So my head hurts and it's like, what am I doing with my life? You know what <laughs> I mean? I think everything's falling apart, even though like, you know, I work a hundred hours a week and everything's going on track the way I want it to, but that one like 
bout of alcohol can just mess me up. Um, hydrogen takes that away. It takes that stress and anxiety away after a night of drinking for me anyways. Um, it takes away my headache and it picks me up so I can get about my day. Right. So it, it completely, for me, um, blunts the neurological side of the hangover. Mm -hmm. It's like a nice reset button. Okay. Let's just start again. It's all good. So what about any projects that you might have coming up? Have you got anything that you're working on at the moment? Yeah. Uh, there's, there's a big one. Um, I'm still going to you know, figure out some of the legal side of it, but uh, I'm trying to fill a gap and, and fix a lot of what I think is, is wrong with biohacking and the way things are going um, in, in that way and, and help out the public and researchers and, and just um, humanity. So this is something I'd be doting my money to as kind of like a, a not profit and then handing over, I, I hope controls to, to quite a number of professors and academics I've been talking to. And it, it's basically would be a journal for self-conducted case studies, right? Mm -hmm. So biohackers that want to see if something can work, they can, they'd be able to go to the site, download tutorials on how science works, right? How to properly control things, um, you know, give suggestions on how to monitor outcomes, you know, what, what you should look for, whether it's using wearable technology or, or whether you're in a country like the U.S. that you can get your blood you know, tested or, or by devices that you can test things like oxidative stress and everything in your blood or even blood sugar, like things like that. Um, and just how to properly record the data and then see if there was a benefit, right? Because so often we start something, we think it's working, but it's based on nothing, right? You just, you assume it's working because you're doing it and you feel good that you made the purchase, right? And I think healthcare is going full circle back to personalized medicine you know but the thing is we went through all the processes of you know general medicine and knowledge to be able to learn so much about our physiology so we can do personal medicine hundreds of years ago it was personal medicine but we knew nothing so there was no such thing as, as personal medicine because we knew nothing now we know a lot and we're realizing that everyone's different right but we still have a long long way to go maybe decades right but with the availability of all these wearable technologies, all these consumer health testing sites, all of these new technologies that are coming on the street, we could be amassing so much information in what could potentially work, what might have side effects, what doesn't work. And researchers could look at that and consumers could look at that to say, huh, I'm going to try this and I'm not going to try that. Right? Say, for instance, a thousand people, you know, do their own little tests, they download the templates that we're designing and, and they do their own little N1 clinical trial and N1 case report. And they're like, you know, on X supplement or X device and 700 find a benefit and only five find adverse events, right? Now researchers could go, huh, we should fund a clinical trial looking at this properly, right? Um, whereas another product that everyone thinks it works right now because it's just marketing and smoke and mirrors and everything going on. But people start actually looking into it hard and go, wow, this thing did nothing for me. It did nothing for my sleep or it did nothing for my health. And now a thousand people record that and eight people have recorded a benefit or another supplement. Nobody's recorded a benefit, but everyone assumes it's safe because it's natural, but 
80% of people have reported like serious side effects, like stomach issues or something like that. And this is information we don't have as a society, right? Because the government doesn't make supplements and a lot of these therapies, like alternative therapies and devices, submit any safety or clinical research, right? So it's just all, we're doing this, right? And as biohackers and health conscious you know, people, we're always like, I want to be healthier. I want to be healthier. So I see a trend with so many people that just keep adding everything new, right? They're like, oh, you know, my friend who I respect added this, he thinks it works. But why did he add it? Did he look into it, right? Is it actually beneficial or was he sold on, on the write-up they did, right? And then it just kind of spirals. So everyone's using this, you know, and it becomes the popularity fallacy that because something's popular, it must work which just isn't the case, right? You look at... I say, I think a lot of people just go on recommendations quite a lot. You know, like people buy stuff a lot of the time because somewhere along the line, someone else said that it was good. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, people will trust one opinion from an influencer they trust, whether it's a health leader or a celebrity, over every doctor and scientist in the world. Right, you know, uh, um, it's just it's how people how how people think. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm just trying to reconcile because so many people will say health is personalized. We need to know what works for us, but then they listen to what worked for someone else, not themselves. Right. So this would be a database where people could look and say, a thousand people just like me tried X. 600 reported a benefit, 300 weren't sure, and 100 say that there was no benefit. And these are all users who have controlled it, who have looked for an outcome, right? And then it could have that list that it, it you know, appears more people are succeeding than failing, but then it would have also a database, like an introductory saying, the rationale behind this is there's this preclinical research and this research. So it would be well documented that this is why it's plausible or yeah. this is why it's not plausible and this is what consumers say right but really it should also hold the leading biohackers accountable right mm-hmm. you know when they're recommending something to to their followers is it's because they believe in it and they've seen a benefit or because they're getting you know x payment right and, and i'm not saying because you're getting x payment you don't believe in it right? Because it's not black and white, right? But I think that we should all be looking inwardly and saying, I'll make money on this because I believe in it. Yeah. Not I'm going to talk about it because I'm making money on it. Yeah. Yeah. I see too much of that. Um, And they're not even necessarily biohackers. They're just influencers talking Mm -hmm. about, I don't know, I drink booty and that's what keeps me in shape. Like booty, really. Or a, a very popular one is uh, CBD. Now, I'm not suggesting that CBD doesn't work, but it's kind of interesting how a lot of people that are talking about it have all of a sudden come out that they have been suffering from anxiety when they never mentioned about it before. Uh, yeah, yeah, I've been suffering from anxiety. Just buy this CBD. This will help you out. Bro, uh, you've never mentioned that before. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and CBD is a, a funny one because it... You know, there very well could be, you know, a list of benefits of it. But 
it, it's like all of a sudden everyone's like CBD's magic and it works for everything, right? Mm-hmm. It'll cure whatever ailment you have all the time. That's what all the companies are saying. It's just wild, wild west. And it's just like, you know, give me evidence, right? Like, you know, there's a good, good reasoning to think that CBD will have potential health benefits, but mm-hmm. we need that evidence, right? And uh, that's kind of what this project I'm working on is about. Um, and this isn't clinical research. It's not the same as getting big clinical trials, which is what we need, but it's utilizing the collective data. And that's where biohacking comes from. Mm. Biohacking comes from hacker culture, right? And, you know, when the internet was new and, you know, software design, all these things were new, hacker culture basically, it didn't matter what your education, what your gender, what your race, what your age, any of these things were, where you went to school, where you live. What matters is what you know and contribute, right? And it was built on not trusting authorities and wanting to share communal knowledge. Mm-hmm. And that's what biohacking started as, as using that, that principle. The difference is hacking culture has tangible results, right? You know when what you're doing and building and tearing down and rebuilding is better, right? And that's how you can judge on things. In biohacking, it's become more of a popularity contest. People aren't reporting hard data on what they're experimenting with, right? They're releasing subjective data that I think I feel better here, right? And that's fine. You know, we need some subjective data too, but we also need some hard data. Is there a rationale behind it? You know, like, like we talked about with hydrogen and sleep, if it was just a million people saying, I think I sleep better, but we had no data relevant to sleep, then it's just subjective. But if it's a million people saying I sleep better and we're doing clinical research, right. And preclinical research talking about the sleep. Now that's something to really look at. Mm -hmm. Right. And this is where I see it going. It is all of these people who are excited about their health, excited about improving, getting better is teaching them how to self monitor in these things and record it. So we can look a million people are, are, are saying that this is helping with their sleep. And then clinical researchers can go and say, I want to study that for sleep because right now they don't have that direction. You know what I mean? And mm. right now, a, a clinical researcher would say, why am I going to study that? There's no preclinical evidence, right? Oh, yeah, some people on the internet say it's true. Well, if you have a thousand you know, self-reported case studies that are all controlled little ways and it's finding overwhelming evidence, that could now pique researchers' attention, right? And I can say I know that one of the teams, one of the biggest teams that's working on hydrogen they started researching what they were doing for this very reason. One of the researchers started hydrogen for a different purpose, and he noticed something on one of the wearable technologies he was using. Mm-hmm. And then they started experimenting on it, and then they started their research program. Amazing. Right. So this type of evidence is so important. We have such an opportunity as a society to gather all of this knowledge and evidence. Right. And uh, it's just getting it done that's it that's it and you could you could be the guy to uh gather lots of information for a lot of people i think this is something we definitely need to do um yeah moving forward absolutely thank you so much alex i truly appreciate your time today like where can people find you what's your website drinkhrw.com 
And if you want to hear more about what I talk about, I have hundreds of thousands of words of content. I write, <laughs> really? oh. I write at about 1,500 words an hour at a clip. So, <laughs> I have a lot of opinions on a lot of things, and I write about a lot of things I'm passionate about. Awesome. And that is all on your website, or is that a separate link? Yeah, that's all on my website, dreamfuturew.com. That's awesome. And um, are you on social media at all? Um, I have a social media. Um, I, I don't really advertise it. I just basically post pictures of, of nice dinners and things I cook. Right? <laughs> but no, I go, go uh, our company's social media is at drinkhrw on Instagram. So that's where we, we post a lot of stuff about like a lot of the, the pro athletes we're working with, you know, tag us on things. You can, you know, see what we're doing. Um, whenever we have like important clinical research that, that has been published, we always post that to our Instagram too. That's excellent. I'll write the details in the show notes so people can click and visit. Um, so do you have anything, I don't know, like a, a discount or something you can offer to? Um, yeah, yeah. I, your, your listeners, I believe we sent you guys up. Uh, I think your was your code uh, Snipes10, do you remember? Um, Probably. I, I need to go into that. Yes, yes. Because sure. I like to have it with a uh, my surname. It's easy for people to see. Yeah. So, yeah, 10% off, right? So your, your listeners get 10, 10% off to give it a try. So they get 10% off their first purchase. And just so everyone knows, we do have a money-back guarantee, full satisfaction. So if for any reason you you know you don't enjoy the product, you don't find a benefit, um, we have a no questions asked money back guarantee on your first bottle of rejuvenation. Okay, that's fantastic. Awesome, that's great, Alex. It's been amazing. Truly. Yeah, thank thank you so much for having me. No worries at all. Now I really appreciate because you taught me quite a few things. I'm gonna go back and listen to everything which we just spoke about to remind myself. And I'm, I'm still really inspired by your story, in all fairness. You know, where you started off. And sometimes we have to, we have to uh, fall back in order to take a big leap forward. You know? Well, it's that adversity in life, right? If yeah. you never had, have adversity, you, you don't have anything to overcome and grow from. It's true. It's right? true. And, and I think that's what separates a lot of people is having the right amount of adversity at the right time in their life. Right. So yeah. too much adversity when you're not ready for it, right. Can, can crumble you. Yeah. Right. And not enough can make you never become strong. Mm. Right. So it's, it's really in a lot of ways, a luck of the draw, mm. right. Dealing with the right amount of adversity at the right times. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Alex. Again, truly appreciated. No problem. Thank you for tuning in today's episode. Any guests which I have on the show really provide some golden nuggets and useful life-changing tips. So always feel free to check out their social media platforms or website links, which will be written in the show notes. These shows are financed by my sponsors, so your contributions are always greatly appreciated. Any clickable links with discount codes will not only provide you with the best services, but will help out the podcast too. So thank you. If you do like the Roger Snipe Show podcasts, then why not give it a review? A five star would be awesome, but some great feedback on what you liked about the show or what you would have liked to hear would be helpful too. Until next time.